Ladies and gentlemen, critter and eco-enthusiasts, welcome to another thrilling episode of Eric Likes Animals. I am your ever-excited host, Eric Mahan, and today we're going to be diving into the wild world of environmental news and the creatures that make this planet their home. Whether you're a first-time explorer or a seasoned listener, I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. So, all right, everyone, why don't we get started, buckle up, and get into some environmental news. First up from The Guardian, they had an article written called, Like Unscrambling an Egg, Scientists Alter DNA to Save Scottish Wildcats, a bold genomic process in being harnessed to eliminate decades of interbreeding with domestic mogies. And if you're wondering what a mogi is, it is a unpedigreed cat, apparently, because I actually didn't know that term at all when I first saw it. Anyway, the article talks about how the Scottish wildcats, also known as the Highland Tigers, are kind of going through a gene makeover right now. So it turns out these fierce felines were in a bit of a pickle because they had been mingling a bit with some domestic cats, losing their wild touch. But fear not, scientists are to the rescue. Scientists are hatching a plan, and it's kind of like playing a gene detective. They're using cutting-edge genomics to create DNA maps of these cats, aiming to spot the ones with the most Highland wild swagger left in them. It's basically sort of like a high-stakes game of unscrambling an egg, as one scientist put it. You see, these wildcats have been partying with the domestic cats for decades, since they did not have too many of their own kind around. And now we humans want to help and kind of hit the rewind button on this. The goal? To create a purebred Scottish wildcat population that hasn't been tainted by the domestic counterparts. A squad of so-called untamed felines ready to reclaim the Scottish wilderness. The drama unfolded over years of domestic cats, descendants of African wildcats, when they invaded Europe and Britain, most of them brought in by humans. Wildcats and domestic cats used to keep their distance, but with their habitat loss, road mishaps, and a growing domestic cat population, things got messy. And in the 1960s were sort of a real turning point where wildcats and domestic cats had some serious interbreeding shenanigans going on. But don't worry, conservationists swooped in just in the nick of time. They set up a program called Saving Wildcats and released 19 wildcats into parts of their national park found up in the Scottish Highlands. These cats then were released, rocking some cool GPS collars, turning them into trendy tech-savvy felines. Also, the scientists can play detective, tracking their every move so they can see how these cats handle the Scottish wilderness, but the party doesn't end with just these 12. 40 more wildcat VIPs are set to be released over the next three years. These wildcats, when released, will have a diet normally consisting of rabbits, mice, voles, and the occasional bird or hare. The menu might be fancy, but it's not all smooth sailing. Helena Parsons, the manager of Saving Wildcats crew, did spill a little of the tea and let the Guardian know that there was at least one cat that met its demise due to an abnormal infection. But hey, that's the wild for you. As for these wildcats, family planning, 
wildcats are normally gearing up for some romantic endeavors in December and January, with hopes of little murder fluffball kittens in spring or early summer. However, don't hold your breath quite yet for these wildcats to have a baby boom just yet. After all, these cats need some time to adjust to the wild lifestyle they were just given. And thanks to the GPS data, we do actually know that some of these wildcats are already socializing together. But GPS is not all. A hundred camera traps also been strategically placed to guard the wildcat release area like a fortress. Every time a suspicious feline that shouldn't be out in the wild is caught on tape, the Saving Wildcats team goes into detective mode, tracking down the owner of the possible domestic cat and ensuring that, if anything, it is neutered, so it doesn't ruin everything that this team has spent so much time trying to build here. You, at this point, may also be thinking, where are they getting all these good genetic cats, after all? Well, they were specially bred at the Highland Wildlife Park near Kingston, these cats with their rock star genes came from all across zoos and wildlife parks in Britain, with the help of stud book records and genetic testing, of course, to ensure that the wildcats that came to this wildlife park of the most serious packing of wildcat DNA. However, it is noted that there is still a touch of domestic cat vibes within all wildcats, but that is the point of this article. After all, the whole point is de-integration program, the hero of the genetic world. And this is here to boost these wildcat genes to max out by using the magic of modern genomics. But hold your applause. It's not going to be a walk in the park. According to Professor Mark Barramont, the scientific mastermind from Bristol University, monitoring wild kittens as they grow up requires some serious cash. Also, it's around $200 per cat to figure out its entire genome. And here's the big reality check from Dan Lawson, who said it's going to take about 10 to 20 generations of careful breeding and genetic analysis to bring back the full wildcat genome. That's a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money. After all, money talks, and Saving Wildcats team is on a mission to, to secure the funds they need. After all, this dedicated group does at least have the time handled. And why are they doing this? Because, my friends, this breeding program is the Scottish Wildcats' last hope. They are a keystone species that without it would ruin the Scottish Highlands forever. Next up, reported by BBC, this article title was Wolverhampton scientists say new frog species sounds like a duck. The article talks about how, in a tale of amphibian intrigue, scientists have stumbled upon a new frog species near the Naldiang River, and it's making quite the splash. Discovered during surveys in 2022, the six-centimeter wonder was found serenading researchers with a distinctive quack-quack-quack call reminiscent of a duck. Dr. Deepak Verapin, the detective behind this discovery from the university team, described the frog's signature look as separating it from similar frogs as a pale cream-colored line on its mid-body. The new species discovery took place during nighttime frog hunts in August and September in 2022. Researchers combed through the easternmost tiger reserve of India with torchlights in hand, trying to discover what had yet been. 
This, by the way, marked the third consecutive year of amphibian revelations in this region, highlighting the biodiversity wonders concealed and hidden within. The scientific discoveries credit was a tag team effort between the Indian biologists, forest experts, and of course the University School of Life Sciences. Dr. Verapin, of course, emphasized the importance of preserving these habitats and their surrounding, hinting that there might be more frogs waiting to be uncovered within the reserve. So with that in mind, as the night in the region is still filled with a multitude of different frogs creating a magical symphony, scientists are poised for further studies and excited to unveil more secrets hidden at the eastmost tiger reserve of India. Then finally, reported by Conservation International. To save the axolotl, Mexico looks to the past. Axolotls are stealing the spotlight, not just of their cuteness and video game appearances, but also that their precarious status on the endangered species list. These adorable salamanders, once thrived in the canals of Mexico City, are facing a habitat crisis due to pollution, invasive species, and the draining of these canals. But fear not, a team led by ecologist Luis Zamberino is on a mission to save these little aquatic wonders. Drawing inspiration from historical farming practices, the plan is to revive ancestral techniques and transform sections of farmers' canals into axolotl sanctuaries. The dream? Connecting these sanctuaries like puzzle pieces to create a haven for the wild axolotls. Conservation International is joining the squad, armed with a grant to clean up the axolotl's habitat using biofilters. Esther Quinintero, a biologist with Conservation International Mexico emphasized the importance of practical conservation strategies that involve the local community. In Mexico, it's not just about having laws on paper. It's about actively engaging with and incorporating the people who share the land. Using the land wisely, according to Quintero, becoming a key part of conserving the ecosystem where axolotls have co-evolved. So in this tale of axolotl salvation, it's not just about protecting a species. It's about reviving ancient practices and involving the community in a journey. And hopefully, the next chapter will have axolotls thriving in these revitalized, historically inspired canals that not only back in the day had Mexico City thrive, but also helped the axolotl thrive there as well. And that's it for your environmental news. So for today's creature feature, I decided since it's the holiday season, the animal should sort of fit that theme. So I picked an animal that is green and one that has a nickname related to someone celebrated during this season. But a little more about that later. I don't want to give away that fun fact just quite yet. But I will, of course, tell you its normal name. And that is, it is the green basilisk. It is one of four species of basilisk, but it is the only bright green one. And of course, it fits with the holiday theme of being green, so let's just stick with that species. This fascinating lizard that calls the tropical rainforest of Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama its home. These semi-arboreal and semi-aquatic creatures have mastered the art of living both in the trees and near the water's edge. 
found at elevations ranging from the sea level to about 2,542 feet or 775 meters, these basilisks are true adventurers. Their habitat include the lush canopies of the rainforest, where they navigate the branches with ease, and the areas surrounding the bodies of water. Whether it's a serene pond, a flowing river, or a tropical stream, these basilisks feel right at home in the proximity of their aquatic environments. Now, here's the lowdown on the green-crested basilisk. Their average lifespan, well, they can hang around for about a decade. Size, well, when we talk about the green-crested basilisk, we're looking at a sleek 2 to 2.5 feet or 0.6 to 0.76 meters in length. And that includes, of course, their long, elegant tail. Weight, despite their show-stopping appearance, these creatures are actually pretty light on their feet, tipping the scales at a maximum of 7 ounces or 198 grams. As for its looks, the green crested basilisk is, of course, a trendsetter, the basilisk world being the sole member rocking a vibrant green ensemble. This stylish lizard has white, gray, or light blue markings adorning its body, and you might even spot a few snazzy black dorsal markings. But don't forget to check out its belly. It's a light shade of green compared to its sides. Oh, and the tail. A thin width tail with an amazing crest running down it. It might be green while having some black stripes across it. Now let's talk about its head. It has a triangle profile with ear openings that have crest around it. Their eyes are round with equally round pupils, but with bright yellow irises that really make them glow. The basilisk skin is all about small granular scales, and of course its body is compressed with a sleek look. But here's the real kicker, it's those hind legs. They are outclassing the front limbs by a long shot, mainly because they are so long. But don't get me started on those back toes, long and flattened. Now, for the adult males, it's all about the crest. Four of them, to be exact. A tiny one behind the eyes, a head-turning crest at the back of their head, and a majestic dorsal crest. And then, of course, that grand finale, the tail crest I talked about earlier. But... The ladies and the young ones like to keep it a little more subtle, with a modest second head crest and a delicate tail crest. Now, you can see the green basilisk spending most of its day basking over the water, catching some sun by the lake. This is actually an extremely smart tactic for them, because it's very hard for predators to reach them high up on the branches. Reptiles like snakes and big lizards will be slow to reach them up on those high, thin branches. But they must also keep an eye to the sky because birds are also a predator for the green basilisk. But if they do spot one of these predators from far away, what then? It's not like they can go back towards them to get down from the tree by climbing down the trunk. Nope, that's actually where the water underneath comes into play. The green basilisk stays above the water so that when scared, they can drop down into it. They, of course, are excellent swimmers and can stay down submerged for about 10 minutes. But the water is also not a safe place with large fish and caimans who would also make a snack out of them. So what then? Well, they can run fast. They can run so fast that they can reach 7 miles per hour or 11.3 kilometers per hour. But that doesn't really help them very much in the water, right? Actually, it can. 
for the green basilisk can run so fast and of course with the help of their special feet can run across water. Yep, they can run across water, giving them the nickname the Jesus Christ Lizard. Told you it was holiday themed. Now, those long flat toes I told you about before, as they hit the water so quickly and so rapidly, they actually create air pockets that along with their light body, the green basculus can actually stay above the water long enough for them to run across the surface, getting away from the danger in the tree, but of course keeping them out of the danger of the water. Now, of course, this doesn't last forever. They can go about 15 feet or more running across the surface. But eventually, the lizard versus gravity act ends normally with gravity winning and pulling them back into the water, which is perfect for them. It's long enough for them to get away from any danger and even possibly for them to get to the other side of the waterway where they can then just find another tree, climb up it, and bask a little more. But they, of course, just can't lounge around all day. They also have to eat. The green basilisk is considered an omnivore, so it likes both plants and animals for snacks, eating a wide variety of plant material and fruits, and of course insects, spiders, smaller lizards, small mammals, crayfish, and snails. Now, on to the basilisk family life. The breeding season of the basilisk kicks off in March for these stylish lizards. Females are known for laying multiple clutches of eggs, with each clutch numbering between 2 to 18 eggs. They're like the multitasking moms of the lizard world, keeping busy throughout the next 10 months, with egg laying slowing down in January, February, and March when females lay less eggs. But when they do lay the eggs, they will normally dig a shallow trench and deposit their eggs within. When it comes to egg laying, larger females of course take center stage laying more eggs than smaller counterparts. These ladies reach their prime at around 20 months, while the gents, the male basculus that is, hit their sexual maturity sometime during their second year of life. But it's not all smooth sailing in the world of basculus romance. Males are into size-related hierarchical dominance, where the bigger guys throw their weight around a little bit, often attacking smaller males and playing gatekeeper to the breeding scene. This means many male basilisks can't even get close to a female to make a family until they hit the right old age of three or four. Now, let's talk about, of course, the courtship. After all, everything we just talked about means nothing if the male can't attract a lady. The male basculus is no stranger to the art of romance, of course, showcasing a classic head-bobbing move, a common practice with many lizards in getting a mate. The parents themselves don't have much to do when it comes to the kids except for breeding and laying some eggs. When the eggs hatch, they are pretty much on their own. But that's okay, because the young basculus can climb, swim, and yes, run away, so they're pretty much all set. Luckily, they are also all set when it comes to conservation. The IUCN Red List has them listed as least concern, population trend, stable. However, that doesn't mean we can't mess things up, after all. The green basilisks face a myriad of challenges within their reptilian lives. And the main villain of the story is loss of their precious habitat. The expansion of human activities, including rapid growth and development, logging and wood harvesting has dealt a blow to the lush environments they call home, and the encroachment of livestock farming and ranching further 
causes struggles for these animals as their activities alter and diminish the habitat these basilis depend on. But that's not all. There's an additional threat lurking in the shadows, the pet trade, a practice driven by human fascination with these charismatic lizards has also taken a toll on the population. The demand of these vibrant reptiles in the pet market adds another layer of pressure for the survival of the species. So, the green-crested basilis find themselves caught in a perilous web of habitat loss, human activity, and the demands of them from the pet trade. So, what can we do? Absolutely revisiting conservation strategies that we've talked about in the past. We've highlighted a lot of excellent points in the past, but in case you missed it or forgot, here's a recap on a lot of solutions for a lot of these problems. First up, tree farms. Promoting and supporting tree farms that adhere to ecologically responsible practices can be a game changer. Sustainable forestry practices such as selective logging and reforestation can help maintain habitats for the green-crested basilisk while meeting human needs for wood. Certification programs are also a good one. Encouraging and supporting certification programs like the Forest Stewardship Council can help consumers make environmentally conscious choices when purchasing wood products. And of course, there's wood alternatives, hemp and bamboo. These fast-growing plants are excellent alternatives to traditional wood sources. They can be used in various industries from construction to paper production, providing sustainable alternatives that reduce the pressure on natural habitats. Also, recycled products. Opting for recycled wood products minimizes the demand for new wood, contributing to habitat conservation. It's an efficient way to repurpose materials and reduce waste. Next up, reducing beef consumption. Dietary choices. As we talk about it, individual choices matter. Adopting a diet with less Reliance on beef helps reduce the demand of cattle farming. This shift can contribute to saving land, reducing water usage, and mitigating the environmental impacts associated with large-scale cattle farming. After all, cattle farming is considered one of the most ecologically disastrous form of farming in that it takes up some of the most land and a lot of things like alfalfa consumes a very large amount of water to produce food for cattle. Next up, plant-based alternatives. I know they're not all tasty, but it's a good thing to look into. Exploring and incorporating plant-based protein sources and meat alternatives into one's diet can be an efficient way to reduce reliance on traditional meat products. Next up, supporting sustainable agriculture. Local and sustainable food sources supporting local farmers who practice sustainable agriculture can make a positive impact. Buying locally grown, seasonal produce helps reduce the carbon footprint associated with long-distance transportation. Regenerative agriculture, promoting regenerative agriculture practices which focus on soil health and biodiversity helps restore ecosystems and enhance the sustainability of farming. And of course, for the pet trade, if you really want to look at these animals, get a membership at one of your local accredited zoos, and then you can go visit them daily. And bonus, you don't have to buy all that food, keep bugs in your house, and then clean up all their poo. But if that still doesn't work for you, just make sure, as always, go to a reputable breeder and make sure you take it to the vet regularly and give it a huge habitat with lots to do. They are very large, active, intelligent animals and they need the space to do so. But still, I would suggest leave this one more to zoo professionals. 
But if you do consider a number of these things I talked about above, we can make sure these little miracles of nature can keep running across the Central and South American waters for years to come. The amazing green basilisk. And that's the show. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the green basilisk, a.k.a. the Jesus Christ lizard. As always, check me out on Facebook, X, a.k.a. Twitter, TikTok, and if you want to email me at ericlikesanimals at gmail.com, links are down in the footer. And of course, once again, thank you for joining me on another wild adventure with Eric Likes Animals. This is Eric signing off, reminding you that every creature has a story, and sometimes the best stories have fur, feathers, or scales. See you next time.